0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As we continue our examination of the promised treasures on this Good Friday, I wanna talk to you about wood. That's right, wood. When I think of Jesus, I think of rough wood. Like bookends surrounding a library of prized writing, the open book that is Christ's earthly life is bracketed by rough wood. Jesus began his human life with his back against rough wood, being laid in a manger, an animal feeding trough. Just look at how far Jesus had come down from his rightful place of glory at the right hand of the Father. He laid aside his prerogatives as creator and took on the limitations of human frailty in order to perfectly represent fallen humanity as humanity redeemed. He was born to a lowly place far beneath his exalted state as king of kings and lord of lords. The manger was emblematic of his humility. He had no special favors as the infant king No palatial estate, no servants at his disposal. His first experiences were like ours were, (coughs) feeling helpless, being totally dependent upon others for his every need. Now, this was a new reality for the one who once spoke and the universe leapt into existence. Entering life as a baby, he needed to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and cared for just as any other newborn would. Jesus continued his connection to wood through his earthly father, Joseph. He was a carpenter by trade and most likely supported his growing family in Nazareth by working in construction at the nearby Galilean capital of Sepphoris. Jesus undoubtedly learned much from Joseph. His parables are laced with allusions to construction. And for instance, he refers to the capstone, cornerstones, and counting the cost of construction. Although scripture does not record it, Joseph must have died at some point during Jesus' life, leaving him to carry on in the family business in order to support his mother and the younger siblings. Jesus is referred to variously as the carpenter and the son of the carpenter in the gospels. In his humanness, he had to work just like the rest of us, living his life in the same lowly circumstances he was born into. There was no luxury, only toil and sweat, and maybe a good night's sleep at the end of the day. Now, in the Old Testament, Jesus has another reference that I find very interesting in this context. He's also referred to as being the righteous branch or the stem or the branch of Jesse. In Isaiah 11, it says that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. That's Isaiah 11:1 through 4. And Jeremiah adds that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. Now, in the Old Testament period, a rabbinic tradition developed that linked humanity to wood. Jesus himself repeatedly warned that judgment would fall on those who did not bear fruit. He said, Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's Matthew 3.10. See here, Jesus, the rabbi, Couples wood with fire, the well-known symbol of judgment. And, you know, this juxtaposition of wood and fire brings to my mind, anyway, a, a very interesting image from Exodus. You see, Moses is wandering through the desert, and he's attracted to a strange glow. And it turns out to be this bush seemingly on fire, yet not being consumed. Out of that burning bush comes the voice of the angel of the Lord saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And many scholars believe that this is what is known as a theophany, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. And it is an apt presentation of Christ and his destiny. He took on the sins of the world, and he bore the terrible judgment of the Father, and yet he was not consumed. He rose again and lives at the right hand of the Father, clothed with the glory he had before he took on frail humanity. Another compelling image drawn from the Old Testament is the Ark of the Covenant, It was the central point of Jewish worship, the principal piece of sacred furniture in the Holy of Holies, both in the tabernacle, the the wandering tent, and later in the more permanent temple. The top of the Ark was the place where God came down to meet with men there between the cherubim. So it was primarily a gold box, Now, gold is a symbol of perfection, of permanence, of immense value and power, and as such is emblematic of God. But if you investigate the construction of this gold box, you'll find it's not a purely golden object. Underneath the gold of the actual box, you find a simple wooden box fashioned from acacia wood. Hard, dense, beautiful with a complex green structure. See, only the atonement cover was made of pure gold with the golden images of two cherubim facing the center of the cover. The rest of the box was gold, but it was gold overlaid the foundation of wood. Now that's what strikes me about the image. It's one if you think about it, of perfected humanity. A gold-covered box. And it's standing in the most holy place. And the box there itself contains several important objects. The first item was the law, inscribed on the second set of the two tablets God gave to Moses. Remember, the first ones got broken in Moses' anger at at the way his people were behaving. But Jesus said this, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And just as the Ark of the Covenant held the law, he perfectly fulfilled all righteousness where we could not. Not ever. Next in this box, you find a a golden jar of manna which was God's provision to Israel during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. In John's Gospel, we find Jesus in dialogue about manna with a crowd who had seen him feed 5,000 men and their families with two loaves and three small fishes. They said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus still comes to us today in the new covenant through his body and blood with spiritual nourishment for our souls. The last article found in the Ark is Aaron's rod that miraculously budded. Now this is the rod that Aaron used to call forth the plagues in Egypt, the same one that Moses used to strike the rock at Horeb, thus producing water for the people. Jesus is identified with this event as well, as John also wrote. On the last of the feast, the great day, and and by the great day, he means the great Hosanna, where the assembled masses repeatedly yelled out, Save now, in anticipation of the water-drawing ceremony. Continuing to read, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John chapter 7. Jesus proclaimed himself to be our source of living water and offers to fill to overflowing all who will ask of him. So, we have this box of wood and gold representing perfected humanity in the person of the God-man, Jesus And it's covered over by the pure grace and mercy of God. The atonement cover, the lid of the box, is pure gold, hence pure God. And he provides a way of reconciliation for us sinners that we could never provide for ourselves. In the Old Testament, the blood of bulls, goats, and lambs were sprinkled over the cover and In order to cover over our sins. And the ceremonies had to be repeated year after year to hopefully gain another year of God's favor. See, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, as Hebrews reminds us. In the New Covenant, the one we celebrate at the Lord's table, Jesus provides the sacrifice through his own blood and covers our sins not for a season as the old sacrifices did, but for all our lives. This is the purpose of Jesus in his passion. He came to fulfill the law, and his actions in life and in death are grace and mercy for us. Jesus ended his earthly life with his back against rough wood nailed to a Roman cross. He perfectly obeyed his Father in everything, even to laying down his life as a satisfaction for God's demand of justice for the sins of the world. He was our substitute, coming into the world to undo the curse that became ours through Adam's sin. And he took that curse to rough wood, hung on a tree, cursed of God. We can rejoice that the curse has been cleansed For as Isaac Watts wrote in the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He can enter into our lives, yours and mine, to make what is wrong right, what is foul, clean, what is corrupt, holy. This is the joy behind the suffering and the pain of Calvary the priceless gift that God has prepared for us, a perfect picture of love incarnate framed by rough wood. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.